Do you struggle with what it means to be successful in your retirement? Trust us, you're not alone. Welcome to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. Here, you'll go in-depth with Guidance Point Advisors Investment Consultants to hear stories about how retirees in Maine are navigating a successful retirement. Get insight into the inevitable challenges of aging and define what a successful retirement looks like. Welcome to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. My name is Ben Smith. Allow me to introduce the Maine Savings Amphitheater to my Thompson's Point, Curtis Wister. How are you doing today, Curtis? All right. I'm doing well, Ben. You know, we're getting into summer here. We got some concerts rolling in. I like the theme here. Yep. Yep. So we like rocking and rolling here on this show. Um, (laughs) So... And again, one thing that talk about rocking and rolling on episode 48, we had Kim Dorsky on and discussing how to right size our stuff as we age and right. kind of rock and roll towards uh, getting our house cleaned out here. <laughs> so the concept is really about being mindful about what we own. How does it fit into our living space as we age? And then finding a way to part with items that no longer serve a purpose for us. Mm-hmm. So, of course, once we decide to part with our things, or maybe our relatives haven't gone through that process, how do we get the most value from them? Yeah. Better yet, what about the collections that we've been obsessed over during our lives? What do we do with those? Mm. Isn't that why people have estate sales, just to get rid of things all at once? So those are just some of the many questions our clients have come to us about. They're seeking an expert in the vintage and antique marketplace about the tips, tricks, and hacks we can all use to get the most value from our things. That's the premise of today's show. That's right. And, you know, as you know, Ben, and hopefully our listeners know, we're not the experts in everything. So we had to pull someone in here. Um, so, That's right. So on our show today, we have someone that in 1988 set off on an antique odyssey. So from 1990 to 1998, he and his business partner, Jeffrey Nelson, operated the Wrigleyville Antique Mall, which was one of the first modern multi-dealer vintage stores in Chicago. So after tens of thousands of sales, countless fails, and the revelation of too many startling stories to tell in a single night of vintage debauchery, our guest wrote Selling Dead People's Things, which documents a slice of those early years of vintage retailing. Selling Dead People's Things is a wry, behind-the-curtain peek into the world of antiques and their obsessive owners while still alive and after their passing. So, an amusing observer of the human condition our guest entertains in 25 life-illuminating, scary, sad, or frightfully funny resale tales and essays. You can't just say to the bereaved, I'm sorry for your loss, but are those crucifixes for sale? Of course, you could say that, but it's more important probably how you say it. So Mm -hmm. whether processing the estate of a hoarding bookkeeper, disassembling the retro remains of an infamous haunted hospital, or conducting an impromptu appraisal during a Shiva gone disturbingly wrong, every day is a twisted treasure hunt for this 21st century antiques dealer. While digging deep into the basements, attics, and souls of the most interesting collectors imaginable, Traveling from one odd house call to the curious next, resale predicaments will confound your every turn. So today, our guest currently uh, and his partner Jeff own the Broadway Antique Market, which is home to 75 top dealers. It's Chicago's largest multi-dealer shopping destination and every bit the vintage department store they had hoped it could become. 
For collectors of mid-century design, BAM is a mini modern mecca. For others, it's a fun place to idle away an afternoon, people watch, and or try not to buy something. So at this point, please welcome Dwayne Scott Cerny to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. Dwayne, thank you so much for spending your time today with us. Hey, thanks for having me. Hey, Ben. Hey, Curtis. Hey. hey. Well, Dwayne, we're, of course, we're in Maine. You're in Chicago. So what do people from Maine and Chicago have to talk about? We're going <laughs> to discover that today. But, uh, but of course, Dwayne, what we want to always do with all of our show guests as they come on is get to know you a little bit and a little bit of your story. Love to hear a little bit about where you grew up and how did that influence your profession today? So I, I grew up in uh, Norwich, which is a little suburb on the northwest side of Chicago, and I'm uh, <laughs> Czechoslovakian and Danish, and it was a very heavily Polish and Italian neighborhood, so mm. I stood out. <laughs> I was four feet tall, but I still stood out, <laughs> and it was kind of hard to adapt to that, And but, you know, pretty early on, I would just have these ideas, and one was... Um, I uh, consigned uh, the toys of my friends or neighbors on the porch, on my mother's porch. And I did that when I was like, oh, I don't know, 10 or 11, something like that, and called it the porch store. Okay. Terrible yeah. name. Ter- terrible name. People people would come by and ask if I could re- recommend a, a good uh, aluminum cider or somebody to do roofing, you know. And here, I, here I'm consigning these toys for the kids in the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah you know, so they yeah. had and then. I've always had like these little kind of side hustles. I mean, I did a paper out for uh, a, week, a week, and I said that's too much like work. <laughs> uh, I'd rather I'd rather sell things. So um, I was always just kind of junking around. Um, uh, so as a kid, yard sales and secondhand stores and flea flea markets. There was a nearby flea market. There was a drive uh, drive in uh, movie theater. Anybody remembers those? <laughs> it was one of those. It was great. I mean, it's just dusty and dirty and horrible and fantastic. You know, I'd get all excited. So it just that kind of thing's always been in my in my blood. My first apartment was all uh, the hand me downs from my uh, parents' first apartment. All this fifties kitsch. And uh, I just, I just loved it and gravitated towards it, you know, at a very early age. And then, you know, the whole design thing kind of, I mean, lots of other people were doing that. I had no money. So that's the best way to be, be a motivator. But the whole mid-century modern thing would soon follow. <laughs> so I was into something that would later become popular. So I was in the right place at the right time for any number of incidents in my life. Hmm. I like that. So obviously, you just gave us a great kind of background there of how you kind of got into that world of selling and antiques. But you know, if there was a moment or kind of a point where you just truly decided that this was the profession for you, like, can you point to that kind of moment? Yeah, I so so, uh, again, I knew nothing about antiques, nothing. There was a store in town, it was called Chicago Antique Mall, it was the first major antique mall in the city. It was on three floors, they had 100 dealers. And uh, I was uh, doing legal word processing at the time to, for a, a living and you know, shoot myself. Um, so, but I would go there on the weekends and uh, want to spend some money. And I, I always say, if you could stalk a store, that's what I did. Okay. I was just, I was just obsessed with it, and and the things would just come and go and come and go. And I, I saw this last week, and now it's gone. And you know, my, my little, little eyes lit up, going, "There is something here." And I came in often enough that the uh, owner's wife offered me a job to do their advertising. And they hmm. couldn't pay me. They had no money. 
And this is uh, three blocks from Wrigley Field, so it's like a great location. Mm. Zillion people walking by all the time. And a lot of times it's easier to market somebody else's business than your own. Mm-hmm. I'll throw that out there. You'll go like, mm-hmm. you should be doing this. And you guys understand and managing people's money. Going That's right. Like, you know, you yeah. should be looking at this. Where When you're doing it yourself, blinders, right? Yeah, it's too so, close. So uh, they didn't have any money, so they offered me a booth in the basement. And uh, anybody who's in the antique business knows you want to be in the basement. <laughs> Great place to be in the basement because everybody heads downstairs for the deals. And I did not know what I was doing. And pretty quickly, I, I met uh, Jeff Nelson. He was actually a, a dealer on the waiting list there. They had so many dealers who want to come in. And I said, I got to get somebody in here who kind of knows what they're doing. And he was managing a very successful mid-century modern store in Madison. He was the manager. He didn't own it. He managed it. But they were selling things to dealers in New York and L.A. And I was going, that's what I want to do. <laughs> and that's what you need to do. And that's what we need to do. So we started with this one little booth, and in six months, I think we had six or eight booths. And unfortunately, when that place closed, we opened up a 1,500-square-foot store across the street. <laughs> and then a year later, took another store and another store and then a basement. We just kept growing, growing, growing till then we moved. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Reader's Digest uh, version of a very long story. So, Dwayne, then, then maybe kind of the, the segue there is, so how is, how is your business doing today? Like, how is it structured today? And then what made you decide to write a book? So, um, two good questions. Let's take the second one. I would mm-hmm. go to so many sales, um, and I usually were invited in either before a sale to the public or after when these are the things that didn't sell. And I would just catch like little whiffs of stories and then going, oh my gosh, that's just incredible. This person was incredible. And how did I never hear of this person? Um, and I would just make little notes. And not like every story was fascinating. There were 500 boring stories for everyone that was interested. So I would just, I would just take notes and I'd, I'd say, there's really, you know, something to this and I need to do something with it. And I'd uh, written lots of things, but I never wrote about what I do. So I didn't really think anybody would be all that interested, to be honest. And it turns out I was wrong. <laughs> First question is, I'm sorry, I was on the So, so how's the your market. business doing today, right? So obviously well, really, you've grown I, and you, you know, you're I, I, booth and booth. I equate this really to um, <laughs> to the, the COVID economy. Yeah. Um, and much like restaurants, you needed to have, if you had a relationship with a bank, you might be able to get through this. And uh, so retail, you know, just like everybody else, we were closed for three months, something like that. Um, we actually closed two weeks before the city made us close because mm-hmm. I was that I was just obsessed with keeping everybody as safe as I could, especially my employees, but sure. customers going, this is and it's, you know, being honest with you guys, you know, this is, I'm somebody who's you know, lived through the AIDS years. And mm-hmm. to me, this was like, this is an airborne plague. This mm-hmm. is something really freaking serious. And we took it extremely seriously and needed to be to get through it. Sure. Which on my end was take care of my people, take care of my customers, take care of my finances. So good relationship with the bank is, and had to really pivot. <laughs> and we were always selling online, but not, it was always like, you know, 5% of our business, something like that. Gotcha. Well, I got to turn this around. I need to keep all my people yeah, because mm-hmm. I have all these tenants. Right. So um, we just stopped collecting rents just not taking any of your money. Mm-hmm. And I said, let me try throwing stuff out online for you. Let's see what sales I can get for you. We started a text and take uh, concept, which was basically we have these like a hundred square feet, a hundred feet rather of uh, display windows. They're just amazing because we're in an old uh, 
uh, furniture store. Mm. Um, so I piled all this stuff into the windows with the prices and the text number. And so mm. you want to buy it? Text me it. Just text me and you, we can do it over the phone. And then we had safe pickup. So everybody's masked, you know, with, mm. <laughs> um, and that works. That yeah. really worked. Yeah. I was encouraging other businesses at the time do this because people want it. People be all walking around outside because it's safe, but they still want to buy something. And uh, that was, you know, one idea that I had other ideas that didn't work, but that was that was one idea that did work. And on it, we, we've had been open to that point seven days a week since um, 1988. Wow. Think about that. Wow. <laughs> Barring major holidays. So when this came along and then being shut down for three months, we said, you know what? Let's just open on weekends. So we opened very slowly, even though the public wanted it and the city said it's safe. I'm going like, I want to feel safe mm-hmm. and safe enough for my people and, and my employees. And I didn't lose one dealer, which malls were just closing, like sure. restaurants. Yeah. You're losing their help, right? You're losing your staff. Didn't I, I didn't lose any employees. I'm just blessed. But I also worry about it every every night going, what else can I do? Yeah. And I encourage people not so much to worry, but to think. Sure. Think what what else can I be doing? You know, what's how crazy an idea is this? You know, and bounce it off some people. Because all you need is a couple of things to that work. And now uh, we're only open four days a week, Wednesday through Sunday. Um, so uh, we're closed Monday and Tuesday. Sorry, Thursdays through Sunday. We're closed three days a week, open open four. And our sales are up 20%. Hmm. Wow. Because we still have the online business. People still do the text and take. And we've kind of funneled the buyers <laughs> into this time frame. Yeah. And it works because it also gives us a little time. We've been doing this a long time. We're tired. <laughs> yeah. um, it's kind of been a way to get through it. Dealers had a somewhat time like adjusting to this because uh, I had to change the rate. But I just made it so affordable for people. Basically, how we now run it is when they make money, we make money. Mm-hmm. Pretty simple. Win-win. Yeah. yeah. It's win-win. Yeah. So like if you're not making money, don't stay here. I wouldn't make you stay here. And um, we also have no room. I've got a waiting list, wow. which is crazy. That's fantastic. Um, I mean, yeah, we're in the catbird seat. And I would not have, I really would not have guessed that. Yeah. But, well, yeah. it's just great to hear. And, and obviously, you know, talk about taking a, a, a horrible situation that we all experienced. And, to you know, now looking back on it, obviously, you said you're doing better now and you have a few days off a week. So that's just fantastic. Yeah. So I want to rotate, Dwayne, into kind of the core of our show today, which is obviously helping people find that value for their stuff, right? Or how do we kind of navigate that? So certainly one theme, I think, with our podcast has been just facing these head-on challenges that we all have in retirement or even just life. And one thing we hear consistently with an aging population like we have here in the United States and especially here in Maine what are we going to do with our things? So I just want to ask you kind of to get rolling here. How should we like pre-plan our things in our wills or trusts, essentially estate planning, that will allow us to get the most value for them? Well, so I, first off, I'd like to encourage people to take their possessions as seriously as they do like writing a will, which means I would say, get out a notebook and write down who you want to have what, your your niece Sylvia, She's going to get the flatware, you know, your uh, 
<laughs> your uh, nephew Bill is going to get the you know outdoor cooker. Write it all down. Mm-hmm. Write it all down, and don't. This is key. Don't show it to anybody. Maybe your sibling, if you've got that kind of relationship. If you don't, don't. Yeah. And now, after your passing, they might be fighting over that cooker or the or the flatware. You don't care. You're dead. <laughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> but if they're honoring your wishes, that's what you wanted. That's right. Okay. Right. So there, you can just make a long list as you possible. And, and why this is so good? Ah. Oh, it makes it so much easier for those that are left behind. Death is always just so difficult for, for everybody that's left behind. You're dead. You don't care. You, it's the, it's here. You're on that high road to heaven, right? Mm-hmm, but, yeah. but it's difficult. This is really, really difficult. So I truly encourage people to do that and pay attention to those, to those things that those are your requests. There's really no request that's too small. It may be difficult for your family to go and make sure that cousin Helen gets your stamp collection or whatever. It's like you want it, you need to come by the next 30 days and pick it up because she wanted you to have it. Yeah. End of story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm real basic with these kinds of things. So now that's if you're preparing right. and you have the time to prepare. There are situations where you don't. Sure. And, you know, that gets into, you know, kind of, there's no, there's no one size fits all for this topic, but I love this topic that we're talking about it because I have this conversation with uh, customers all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, what am I going to do with fill in the blank? You know, yeah. obviously, you know, there are, um, you, you can't have, you can't, you can't, you can have estate sales in some places. Mm-hmm. If you have a home, though, sometimes not in gated communities, think about these things, mm-hmm. right? Condos, co-op, some of them have rules about, nope. Now, they, you still can bring in people privately, which is what I do. So through through the estate, um, and then you're selling to you're selling to a dealer. And whether you're having a, an estate sale or you're bringing in someone like myself or uh, someone who does estate cleanouts, the one thing I want to say if I say one thing today that 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 you take with you is that you're selling. <laughs> you're actually now a salesperson. You are selling these things. And not everybody is good at that mm. at mm-hmm. all, mm-hmm. especially when emotions are attached to things. So you might think you're good at it. It might not be <laughs> because it takes a lot of patience and you need to listen. But it's like, I mean, think about if you went in to, went in to buy a car and you're getting that hard sell from Stanley to buy the Buick. Right. You're going to go, you're gonna, you know what? I don't. I don't like this. I don't want, I don't, I want to deal with this guy. It's the same thing. And here you're trying to unload a dining room set or a kitchen set or Lord knows what. You've got to be like extra nice. You got to just put on your hat and say, I am going to be so kind and so benevolent and I'm going to listen. <laughs> and that's tough. It's really like, like acting, you know, for a lot of people. Yeah. Especially yeah. when you're in, when you're, you're grieving. And it, this might sound like a little thing. It's not. It's huge. I've seen this where there's, incredible things that are totally saleable and that person who's needs to process this stuff because the mortgage is due or they're foreclosing or lord knows what there's always the house is on fire there's always some reason that things have to be done yesterday they stand in the way (laughs) even the numbers are there they stand in the way of it you know not everybody wants to hear the story about how important this birdcage was to your aunt elda you know sure just don't so so (laughs) it's it's just Really think about, am I good at selling things? I think you have to ask yourself that and be, and be very honest with yourself. And I'll say in, in the beginning, I absolutely was not. 
Gotcha. I had a couple classes at Second City, and that helped a lot. <laughs> but mm-hmm. not everybody can do that. So, Dwayne, yeah. I, I want to jump in for a second, though, because I, I guess the question I have, and I, I think the core of kind of what we're saying here is, so when the things are my things, right? So I've collected them, right? I've bought them. I, I've learned. I've become educated about my things. Mm-hmm. I... It it feels like I'm probably more predisposed to get more value from my things than if I had left it to the next generation and said, hey, guys, I'm past. I'm not using this anymore. You guys figure it out. So I guess from a getting value of probably I'm going to do better for the next generation if I sold them myself than if than if I let you know, my son or somebody else take care of that when I'm gone. Is that a true statement in your experience? I would, I'm going to use the John Waters word, perhaps. Okay. <laughs> Only in that there are trends. And if somebody had come along 20 years ago and said, I've got 10,000 pieces of vinyl, you know, rock and roll and blah, 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 blah. I said, Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> Do I have to finish that story? No, you got it. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. yeah. So there, there are there are trends. Trends trends happen. Things, especially in the in the, in the antique business, things go in and out of fashion, right? Um, so I'd say generally, yes, you're absolutely the expert because this is what you collected, and it might be smart to either thin it out so that you know, kind of splitting the baby in two, for lack of, a, of an analogy. Mm-hmm. You know, there may be the lesser things you should start thinning out and get some money for. The other thing though is you could sell off the entire collection. You know, don't put the money in Bitcoin. Sorry. Um, <laughs> with the money in whatever you gentlemen would suggest. Yes. The money. Yeah, yeah, sure. But you get liquid. Is my point. Just, just get yeah. liquid because, yeah, you're the guy who's going to know what's best about your sword collection. Right. You know? And then there's some things, unfortunately, that people bought. And, you know, let's go. I can say this. Franklin Mint. You know, they were just they were they were kind of taken to the cleaners to begin with. And now we're going to turn it into, it's going to be very, very little money. If you mm. get collected Avon bottles, you know, mm. and this is what, you can say, hey, I've got, I, and they will think they're going to retire on it, you know, not going to happen. So, so I'm, I'm agreeing with you, but it's the, that, it's that perhaps it really depends what it is. Sure. And that's really simple by, by just like looking into the marketplace. I would say, um, well, you can look on eBay, obviously closed auctions, mm-hmm. you know, for free, but buy a subscription like to, um, worth point is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Worth point because that's looking at the auction results, the end auction results of what things really sold for mm-hmm. the real world of almost anything of almost anything. And then you want to look at in point of time. Is that in the last like three to five years? Yeah. Where have the numbers been? You go, well, you know, 10, 15 years ago, these things were doing better. Are they going to come back? Hmm. Depends on what it is, you know, Native American things. Yeah. Uh, other things that are kind of, let's just say, politically incorrect. Mm. Right. Or there's mm-hmm. that. There's a lot, it's just, there's a lot of moving parts to what, what can dictate the uh, value, but you can do your own research for very, very little money. Um, so you don't feel that, you know, some dealer is going to come in and, you know, rip you off. Sure. So, Dwayne, I think those are really great tips. And I know we'll talk a little bit about resources in a bit. But one thing I want to ask, the, so again, where Curtis asked a question about, hey, these are my things and I might need to pare down and get value out of them. What about the opposite situation, right? We're taking care of mom and dad's things after they pass, somebody else, a relative 
and they leave all of their stuff to us, right? Is you know, we've we're accumulating our own stuff as we age, and then uh, now all of a sudden we have a house full of things that we have right. now inherited, and we're all busy, right? We have things that we want to do, and probably that was not the thing that we wanted to do was now all of a sudden handle a, a house full of things that are suddenly ours. So when people come to you and they say, All right, I have this situation. How do you advise people to handle this? Right, so what? How do they? So where do they begin? I guess is the yeah. big question. Well, I think part of it depends on really how much stuff there is. So I mean, there are you know, my partner. I generally buy furniture, which are big items, and people are happy mm-hmm. to get you know rid of them. And you know, we'll look at we'll look at smalls, but smalls can just be just 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 overwhelming. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we will look at almost anything. But so I really say I would say it depends on the volume of. Because there are people okay. who say, well, we have this house full and then there's stuff in the garage, there's just stuff in the basement. And did I mention we have three storage lockers about a mile from here? You know, exactly. Yeah. Yes, you did mention that. I just <laughs> driving. Yeah. Um, <laughs> first off, there, there are other firms that can do this for you. Mm-hmm. So um, that's something you could just pick up in the yellow pages of people who um, basically uh, upscale uh, reselling, you know, and uh, we say there's, you know, there's, there's, we say like, hoarders from the tv show hoarders mm. but that's low-end hoarders but there are high-end hoarders there's people who had had money and collected things yeah. and he's, he's got eight grand pianos he's like great <laughs> <laughs> so 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 it, uh the one thing i would say which kind of just covers the waterfront is just take photos yeah. Take good, take good photos huh. and not every little, you know, not every little, you know, minutia of this is, a, you know, he collected pens and here's one of them, you know, there's a <laughs> pen collection, take a couple pictures of the pen collection, you know, whatever the stars of that, that are. So in those, always think in categories if you can, like, well, there's a lot of our class in this house. Mm. So it can be almost anything. They like TV trays. Uh, TV. Good. People buy TV trays. If you're going to, you can bring in people into, into individually. And that's why I say to have photographs is because to, you got to get a dealer there. And yeah. this is what people do for a living. Mm-hmm. Yep. So somebody's going to estate sale, they will, they will come to give you an appraisal of what they're going to charge. Right. Yeah. It may seem like a lot, but they're also doing the research and trying to get you the best money for it because they're getting a third or whatever, plus their fee. They're, all these things are structured differently. Again, there's like I mentioned about uh, uh, condos and co-ops where you can't have a sale. Then people have to be brought in privately. And I'm one of those people. But then they bring in the book guy and the lamp guy and the, mm-hmm. <laughs> it just goes on and on. Right. Um, but the idea is to, you know, slowly, you know, get the get the place you know emptied out. And that's really the, I think the the best way to as far as actually making money. A lot of people get hung up when they. It's funny. I've been doing this so long that you know. I remember when, and they still talk about it. It's not really true. They'll say, "Oh, you know, my kids don't want any of this stuff." Yeah. It's yes and no. You know, mm-hmm. if your folks had a bunch of Eames chairs and sofas, they're going to be all over it. They're going to be, you know, they'll be fighting each other over it, or cool things from the eighties to the nineties, and there was cool things from the eighties and nineties. Oh, I'd say, oh, it's better design. Kids are savvy. I would say kids, but younger people are savvy. Sure. Yeah. They're looking going like, wait a minute, I've seen that sofa on a TikTok video. Sure. I want that sofa. Don't throw that sofa out. So they always kind of dismiss it. Oh, the kids don't want anything. I don't find that to be kids are kids are pretty smart they may not you want your you know your mother's 112 piece collection of ugly franciscan china you know because people don't people don't uh well it's ugly (laughs) 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 Um, people don't entertain young people don't entertain that way anymore young 
That's right. People don't even have a dining room. Let sure. alone right. place, you know. So China cabinets are tough to sell because there's China in them and, and crystal. So all that kind of traditional stuff is is tough. Absolutely, there are buyers for it. But it's going to be somebody in their 50s and 60s who's, you know, who's they're high end collectors. They just got to, They just have to buy it. There's a buyer. There's a buyer for everything. But those things need to be priced sharp. Sure. And I, I learned that expression from a realtor friend of mine. I love that. Price something sharp. All right. So sharp is that it goes. That it's too good a deal to pass up. Gotcha. You, just, you, you need to. You just move move it along. Don't don't fall in love with somebody else's stuff. Okay. So, Dwayne, you just kind of teed up my next question perfectly. So that was fantastic. So I want to kind of dive into estate sales for a minute. I know we've touched on them a little bit here in the last few minutes. To me, someone not the expert in the field, that may seem, it does seem like the easiest way for me to just get rid of everything, right? So I know you've just expressed with condos or HOAs, for example. So what are kind of some issues that you do see with estate sales and then what can be done to improve selling things from an estate? Um, I'd say like anything else, interview a number of people, at least three companies. Yeah. Um, don't, don't go with the first one. These days, everybody's got a computer in your pocket. You can go online. What are their, what are their Google reviews? What are their Facebook reviews? Sure. And also, if, if, I mean, I think that's really like probably the most important thing. And then the other is just kind of your gut. You know, you might just kind of connect with somebody and. Yeah. Uh, for whatever reason, for whatever, you know, that, that kind of mojo that's out there. And it's like they've come into your life to help you. Just following your, following your gut on that is, um, I think often un, un, under, underrated. Hmm. So it's like, don't go with the person who just gave you the cheapest rate. Sure. You know, that, that's, that's not always the best way to go. Right. Somebody's hits you that they were just going to be like, the, they're the most honest with you as opposed to like, Oh, I can get you, you know, big, big dollar signs. Don't, don't be dazzled by that. I'd be more impressed with the guy who says, you know, I, you know, all, all that stuff in the kitchen, I get rid of all that for all the canned goods, the uh, <laughs> aluminum wrap, uh, the, you know, the, there's stuff in the basement. You go, really, yes, I've got somebody for that. Yeah. It might sound silly and it's not a lot of money, but the place has to be empty. That's right. right? That's right. And they're doing the work for you there. So, I mean, it's, I wouldn't make a major decision on aluminum foil, but <laughs> unless you're making a hat. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's, uh, I really look into like who, who you're, who you're going to hire, what's most important to you. I mean, generally, I think like if there's a vehicle involved, mm-hmm. you should spin that off separately. Yeah. You might have somebody who wants to like, oh, just throw that in and I'll, I can get you the best. Are they, a, are they really a car specialist? Gotcha. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah. And then, um, you need to be honest with them too. It's like if you're showing them things, cause this goes both ways. And I'll just say, let's say there's just a really also some really good toys, some really good tin litho toys. We'll just pick out something. Right. And of course, the the sale is going to be well. Wow, these will sell really well. I think we can get some good money on that. And you know, find they're in the sale, and the and the uh, state sale people take pictures of it and post them all over the place because they want to get people to your sale. Mm. And then you, as the seller, <laughs> change your mind. Yeah, and you pull those items. Yeah, mm. it pisses off everybody. Yeah, <laughs> this is off the public. They come in going, "Where are the Timberlands toys?" Now they're in a bad mood. Yep. Maybe they weren't even going to buy them. Maybe they just wanted to see them, but they're not going to want to buy the aluminum wrap. Yeah, yeah. They're just a, they're just in a bad mood. The person who's running the estate sale feels screwed. Mm-hmm. They can't do anything about it. You changed your mind. I'd be very wary of that. People do this all the time. I get it. But truly decide what you are willing to part with. Because inevitably, the stuff ends up in a box. You end up taking it home. And three years later, you're calling me. Right. You know? 
<laughs> it is. Right? It yeah. is. Yeah. I pulled this at the sale. What'd you do that for? Yeah. That was the time to sell it. Once hit a guy, quick story. Once hit a guy, uh, Jeff and I we, uh, sold lunchboxes like crazy before the internet uh, craze. So, and it was a whole side business we had just with lunchboxes. So you can think of every character, cartoon, yeah. Hanna-Barbera, yeah. right, yeah. right, right, with Tin Litho stuff. But we'd have like Lost in Space and Star Trek and uh, really good boxes, things that you could get like lots of money for. And uh, Jeff, Jeff had a friend, you probably won't hear this, but we'll see anyway, who had the best collection I'd ever seen. Just absolutely the best collection. And for years, I begged him. <laughs> I begged him going, take out the lesser ones. Give us the lesser ones. To cons- we'll consign them for you. We didn't do consignment for anybody. I wanted this collection. It would be, it was fantastic. It would augment the collection that we had. We were specialists in it, right? He wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. And I just gave up asking. And when we were totally out of the market, <laughs> not doing that anymore, on to the next thing, mm-hmm. he decides yeah. to come along and say, okay, now you can sell it. I turned him down. Yeah. Yeah. We turned, we turned him down. I said, it was like, it, it was the IRA from heaven. I mean, he mm-hmm. really, he would have been set. Mm. He simply would have been set. And so again, that timing of, of things is just so important. And I don't make the market. The market sure. just sure. happens, you know? So anyway, again, don't fall in love with things. But. So, so Dwayne, I think you're bringing up a really great point. I, I know you and I talked a, a little bit offline here about, about some of these, uh, but especially from resources our listeners can get used, uh, can get, can use to get better educated on selling their things and figuring out what they might have a value because you're kind of saying like, Hey, vintage eighties clothes right yeah. now is the hot thing, right? Is, and I'm going, really? Like, you know, you're, you're going through, you know, your uncle's closet and he's, he's got all this, uh, the clothing from the eighties that he's never gotten rid of. Like yeah. that's the stuff that I would probably just go over to Goodwill and say, take it. You're, you're, so you're, cause again, how, how can somebody find out that, Hey, I, I just stumbled into eighties vintage clothing, which I assume is garbage. Yeah. And, and then how would I then discover that that actually has maybe not just some value, but maybe a lot of value there? I think the easiest answer there, because it's the most relevant of websites is, uh, is, uh, Etsy. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's innumerable. <laughs> Uh, 80s vintage clothing uh, sellers hmm. um, for both for both men men and women and I don't sell but a couple of my dealers do the one gentleman who sells just menswear he's every once in a while he's like oh I just shipped 20 ties to LA for some uh, pilot they're doing and they wanted all these skinny ties hmm. so he's selling production people yeah. which is a great yeah. contact because once they find you they know you, you're the guy that and you've got the quality and your prices are good mm-hmm. you've got a customer for life there so this is beyond, you know, we're all thinking, well, who's going to want this? <laughs> yeah. Media wants this. Yeah. Media wants this. They're a big hungry beast. Mm. Uh, and we've been propping stuff for 30 years. But I do limit everyone's. If I come across some vintage clothes, I give it to him and say, here, you know, mm. uh, what's good? What isn't? But I mean, think of the 80s. Think of think all the shoulder pants, right? It's just, it's very much, and it's, it, the 80s were all about designers. Mm. And so many of the designers still, you know, I mean, you have a Versace anything, anything. <laughs> A scarf, a belt buckle, you know, I mean, it's, it's sad what happened, right? Right. Mm-hmm. But it was almost the same way of any kind of Warhol thing. It was a merchandise the same way, but, but all these people, people are, you know, they, they were stars, they're stars, yeah. they're personalities. People ask for this stuff and we don't, and we don't even have it. We can't, we can't even keep it in actually because it sells for better money online. So mm-hmm. that's the other thing. Huh. Uh, I would, would want to say though, I caution anyone who's, who's in this head going in their head going, well, you know what? Then. I should become an Etsy dealer yeah. or I should become a, 
you know, right. then I should sell on, on eBay. And I, I would really, I would really think that over, you know, because it, then it's, you're starting a business. Sure. Yeah, that's right. And if you really want to do that, fine, but yeah. you're starting a business and you need to think about what that really means. Yeah. So it's not a, it's not a quick short-term solution. If you just want the in and out, that's, that's not for you. Hmm. That's good to know there. Um, so I guess I have a question about questions. So if you had to answer, what questions do you wish people would ask about selling their things that maybe they typically don't even know to ask? Like if you had a couple silver bullet here, give us the secret sauce right now. What do we got? <laughs> That's really good. Well, first is to come in prepared, Yeah, which means you have photos. Mm. I, I don't need a hundred word description about how fantastic this hurricane lamp is. I've seen hurricane lamps. I need to see a picture of Hurricane Lamp. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's the first thing. Personally, yeah, I'm, I'm into the, I, we just get people come from all over the country and chop us, which is great. But, you know, I don't need somebody from Arkansas telling me that I should come out to their barn and mm. you know, let's be realistic here. And because it's always you should sell in your area um, mm-hmm. or go online and find a way that you can ship it to somebody. But that's just that that's kind of a waste of it's a waste of both our times sure. you know, having that having that um, discussion and, and, and kind of go back to do your research of what things are worth. Yeah. I mean, people will come in with things and going like, I'm sorry, I don't have objects, but objects, but it's, this is a, it's a, it's a lantern slide. And this is a box of lantern slides, right? like uh, magic lantern slides. How specific is that? Right. <laughs> well, do you, I, I thought this was worth some money. Well, it turns out it's really not. <laughs> it's really not. So don't come in and say, you know, I got to get $75 for this. And then say, I've got this in a showcase for 25 and it's been sitting here for a year and a half. Yeah. So, right. and I'm not being a jerk about it. No, you know, no. Just saying, and a lot of people, well, well, mine's better. It's the, it's the same one. So often <laughs> we're still talking about mass produced items yeah. for the most part, yeah. right? These are mass produced items. If you can, if you can look it up online, it's a mass produced item. But yeah, I would just say being, being, it goes back to, you know, this is going to be sound like broken record. When you're trying to sell to me, you're the seller. Mm-hmm. So you've got to be nice. <laughs> and yeah. people, this some often they're just not nice, and yeah. I'm, I'm pretty tough. I I am. I'm I'm blunt. I put it that way. But you need to be nice because you're trying to sell something. So making me feel bad about whatever it is you're trying to sell, or you don't know what you're looking at. You know, yeah. actually, I do, and you know, you're kind of a dope. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so often it's funny how people come back calling somebody a dope. But I'll just say, or I will offer somebody money on something. I say, you know what? I would do twenty bucks on that. I'll do 20 bucks on that. But if you can get more money elsewhere, you know, you should take it. Yeah. Right. And they come back. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was honest with them. I was honest with right. them. I was in, generally interested in it and maybe wanted to pay a little more for it going like that might help sell something else that's in the store. Mm-hmm. Sure. Or like as kind of a prop thing. It kind of complements it. There's lots of reasons I might buy something. Mm-hmm. I might buy something because it's Thursday and I haven't bought anything for a couple of days. <laughs> you know? And a lot of dealers are that way too. Going And it's walking in the door. Yeah. It's walking in the door. I didn't have to drive to, you know, out into an hour into the suburbs to right. look at somebody's broken bicycle. Sure. You know? it's back into the time is money so I, it's being respectful of person i do this for a living my favorite is and in the the in my new book i've got coming out at the end of the week a vintage confidential and i do a chapter just of the things that people say hmm. just hmm. just the comments that people say i don't I, there's so many yeah. i don't want an appraisal i just need to know what it's worth <laughs> ouch with a straight face just, my, my, my mother is having an estate sale but she doesn't know about it yet 
Oh, yeah, that's uh, good. She just good. Doesn't know she's gonna be dead. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the other is uh, there's like about a hundred of them in there. Uh, <laughs> I'm so I'm selling a coffin that was only used once. Huh. <laughs> you know. Hey. I was. I mean, they would say these things, and I go. I got to write that down. Yeah. Yeah. I could not, I could not come up with that on my own. I, I can, I'm just envisioning somebody like going to a cemetery, digging up a uh, coffin and going, you know, it's still pretty good. This, this one still works. This could be, yeah. Lightly yeah. used. Uh, um, yeah. Well, yeah. Exactly. I can um, describe this and sell it. Actually, well, there's, I, yeah. Go ahead. Please. Well, Dwayne, I want to ask about collections, right? Cause I think, you know, all of us, and I, I know you've, you've kind of, said this a little bit is we all kind of have an element of collecting things in our lives right and some of it's like we're collecting it not only just because maybe we have an enjoyment of it but also we have the the quote unquote these things are going to be worth something someday and everybody points to the honus wagner or the you know spider-man number one or whatever the thing was where it's the first of the the many and all of a sudden that becomes worth 2.4 million dollars at at some auction so i guess the question is when people say that these things are going to be worth something someday they start the collection how do you think collections have actually performed as an investment for those that have thought along those lines? Really good question. Excellent question. Offhand, I would say poorly because it was what was the motiva- motivating factor to buy it to begin with, right? Mm-hmm. So I have a bunch of strange little collections. One is a, a, a aquarium figures, vintage ceramic aquarium figures. I'm, I'm attracted to structures, I think. Right. <laughs> right. And you know what that ends up being is like a really good box lot at an auction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody will buy that and they'll probably pay some money, but not anything. And I pay almost, almost nothing. But, you know, there's, there's just, there's a, just a handful of things. Shouldn't say, I really shouldn't say it that way, but you know, like if I had collected pens, I go back to like, uh, uh, what women, what men and women collect are just so different. Mm. Is that so, guys? How many pairs of shoes do you have? Unless you collect gym shoes or tennis sure. shoes, or right, yeah, yeah. a dozen, like, two dozen, yeah, a dozen, right? Maybe yeah. about a dozen pairs of shoes. Yeah, you know, a woman, please. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. they like shoes. Yeah, they yeah. like shoes. Let's not even get into it. Why they like shoes? You know, and actually, depending if she bought designer shoes, though, you got the size, which is an issue, so that limits. You know, mm-hmm. who's going to buy it? Because that size thing. But but what's the But guys. Like tie clips, tie bars, cufflinks. Mm. Guys will have hundreds of cufflinks. They don't know how many cufflinks they have, mm-hmm. right? Now you could say both those things. Well, there are some cufflinks that actually, you know, if you're getting into gold fill and things like that, sterling better cufflinks, designer cufflinks. Those retain value. Those will be absolutely be worth more than you paid for. It. Same with some of the shoes. But if the guy collected pens, and that's a thing that's really consistent, it's really, it's you know, I don't know, it's the. uh but what's the gold standard of stocks that, you know, just something that you blue chip stocks type thing. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. just, it's something that's uh it's, it's, it's really never wavered if you bought mm-hmm. which good things. Watches, watches are like that mm-hmm. as well, you know? So whereas uh, I remember years ago uh, I had Anthony Quinn came into the store and I was just mesmerized by him and he bought every pocket knife that we had, mm-hmm. just pocket knives, pocket knives, pocket knives. Now, he liked pocket knives. There was no, maybe he spent a hundred dollars in pocket knives. Other than the fact that it's going to be Anthony Quinn's pocket knife right? yeah. mm-hmm. at that yeah. auction. 
it's really not going to be worth anything. So, you know, it's, and I go back to the vinyl thing, like who would have thought that? So there are kind of these freaky things in the market that happen Mm. and you can't necessarily, you really can't predict, you know, what, what that might be or something happens. You know, they, uh, I remember years ago when they finally discovered the Titanic, you know, and then there was this huge interest in the Titanic memorabilia, sure. right? Or not that I lived through it, but you go through it when, uh, when uh, King Tut, when they discovered the tomb in like 1922. And then there was this whole design movement that came out of it. It was mm. just everybody, it was a huge thing. It's a huge thing. It's and, and there's still big interest in Egyptian things because of that, because of something that happened in 1922. So that's why I also so to, really love history, because it can reflect on, on the market. Yes. Yeah, so, so, just to kind of summarize a little bit of what I'm hearing you say, there just sounds like there's just there's a large element of luck involved. Right? It's like mm-hmm. Because all of a sudden I happen to, you know, buy vinyl throughout the 80s and 70s and held on to it. If I sold that in the late 90s and early 2000s, everybody's going to iPods and yep. digital music and CDs. Yep. You're like vinyl, like it's, yep. it's huge. It's hard. And then like now you're in the late, you know, 2010s into 2020s. And it's, well, it's got a warmth to the sound and we kind of like that. And we like the, it's like all of a sudden that just comes back. But if you dump right. that whole collection in like 2000, you probably just took a bath, but you held on to it. You might actually probably have some value 20 years, but who knew, right? Who well, knew? And if someone from the future had said, listen, they're going to like the hiss. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They, they like the click and the hiss. You'd be like, go, go back to the future. <laughs> exactly. Out of your mind, you know. They're like, no, we want things to, we want things to be perfect. Yeah. No, suddenly it's it's the imperfect yeah. that makes yeah. it that makes it desirable, and that people come in and say, I already have this record, but this cover's in better shape. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or oh, this one has the poster with it, or this is you can get into the, the anally retentive of almost anything, right? Mm-hmm. I do actually have a guy who collects railroad lanterns, and he's the nicest guy, but I don't want to spend any more time with him because that's really all he talks about. But he has an encyclopedic mind about it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it's, you know what? He'll probably do okay with that because he really knows his stuff. And when it, these things go up at auction. And so I'm not, I'm not laughing at him at all. It's just that there could be the most obscure thing. And I don't necessarily, I don't dismiss it anymore because yeah. say there could very well be something to this. Yeah. Um, that, but that's the definition of a market, right? It is finding a buyer to the seller. That's, that's all that yeah. is happening. Right. Because yeah. it doesn't mean you have to have all the buyers and all the sellers. But if you just find one and one that are agreeing on the price, then I think you got something. Right. And it's that element of time. Sure. Mm -hmm. Sure. It's that element of time. And it also goes back to, I made some notes before, you know, what we talked about before is like, well, what is your purpose in this? Because when people are, and to Curtis, I'll give you this one. This is one I always forget. People don't give, people don't give themselves enough time. Mm. Because I had this all, all. It happens every weekend. Somebody comes in and say, no, you don't understand. I have to be out of the apartment in the next 15 minutes, you know, and I'm not exaggerating it by much. And it's just like, yeah, no, these things take time. I can do it. I can get people there, but I got to even scheduling a mover. And then we're talking about like, here we are mid COVID, right? Sure. It's still hard to get things moving. So give give the, 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 the potential buyer the opportunity of time just because you're partner around you yeah. know yeah. you're gonna pay for that you're gonna pay for that the things aren't gonna sell 
as quickly and for as much money because yeah. you didn't budget your time. So that's, that's a good point. Yeah. So that's that would be my other. Yeah, that's uh, really good. I'm glad you brought that my, up. My, my other point because it goes by very quickly given you know, the given the circumstances. The house is sold. The new people are coming in. You know, um, and then their problem is becomes my problem, and I have to decide if I want that problem or not. Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, no, and that, I think I probably speak for hundreds of thousands of dealers who would say the would say the same thing because yeah. again, there's always more stuff to buy. Right. This isn't like the resale market is just exploding. Mm. It's, uh, I mean, look at that. I mean, you're, you're running the a real real on TV. There's AI. So you're seeing you're mm. seeing vintage everywhere. It's yep. in everything. It's and it's reflecting society and for all kinds of reasons. Younger people, you know, it's green. It's less of a footprint. It feels right to buy something vintage. Right. We've kind of moved away from that antiquey thing that it's got to be your, you know, your aunt Bernice's, you know, mm. coffee table or something. Uh, so there's a better appreciation for these things. So it's it's actually in a lot of ways a better time to be stuck with these such yeah. a problem yeah as, as it was you have a lot more at your fingertips as far as information mm-hmm. and but you, you need to be efficient with your time yeah no i like that a lot so i want to ask you a question here that i know i am very curious about the answer here so obviously over the length of your career i'm sure you've had some uh, nightmares seems like a tough word but i'll say you've had some nightmares and things that you've purchased that maybe you just simply cannot sell you know, you can't resell it. So, you know, do you have a couple or do you have some items off the top of your head that, you know, you or other dealers, you know, just don't want to purchase from these types of experiences? Good question as well. I don't deal in um, black memorabilia anymore. Um, I've got a lot of really good uh, black customers. I mean, we'd have, I've got a paper dealer who would have slave documents. Mm. And uh, I remember I had a young woman come in and she graduated from uh, the Art Institute and she came in with her parents and um, she, they, they said, well, what, what, what do you want in the whole store? We're going to buy you something. And she wanted to buy a slave document. Hmm. And it just, it meant so much to her. Yeah. And I love, and I love that story. And she's come in repeatedly and bought other things, not black memorabilia related, but we stopped carrying that. It just became an issue. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, things changed. Sure. Things, sure. things changed. Still a market for it, absolutely. And yeah. uh, black people have some of the best collections of black memorabilia. But it kind of got thrown in, like with like you're selling Nazi memorabilia. And mm. oh my gosh, no! And right. we don't. Yeah. <laughs> right. It wouldn't. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So um, that 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 comes to mind because I if a lot of times I'm explaining to people why we don't you know carry it anymore. This we used to have mm. some really great stuff, but my definition of something objectionable isn't someone else's. Sure. Mm-hmm. Put it sure. that way. Right. Yeah. So I'm not going to see what that what what that would be, but and and kind of record, kind of getting it. I mean, really, kind of getting it, going like you know, that's not right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So which that I felt actually okay about. You know? Yeah. There are things I bought which just took forever to sell. Uh, I, I write I write about a couple a couple of those in 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 the book. People always people always seem interested in just. I'm glad we're not just talking about the numbers because the numbers kind of bore yeah. me yeah. if i could be yeah. honest because yeah. yeah. it's always like what is this worth and i'm not sure. an appraiser mm-hmm. you know i'm just somebody with an opinion yeah so i think it's been more um i i would just say you know, things that you know i just loved you know i just i just thought well this is the coolest thing and and 
it wasn't that I necessarily I was wrong. I just might have been like a little ahead of the curve. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Timing. Which I, which I tend to do, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was buying carnival banners back in the day. And uh, uh, some people found those offensive. Um, and now I wish I kept them because they're fa- they were I knew they were fantastic. Uh, and I ended up like selling almost the entire collection of one other dealer. He came along and I said, eh, yeah. no, but, um, but it was, you know, that they were, they were sideshow performers mm-hmm. and the banner and the banner art for it. Again, kind of politically yeah. incorrect. Sure. You know, depending upon it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a little person. Yeah. Not, not the M word. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So there's like little minefields, you know, here and there, but you know, uh, again, I'm, um, I recognize I'm selling history yeah. and history is complicated and sure. history right. history is changing before our eyes. That's right. So. And, and it's being rethought and reimagined and yeah. all that. Well, Dwayne, I want to ask then the flip side of that question, right? Cause so you've ta- kind of talked about some nightmares of things that you, that really just can't sell. What are some things that people are surprised to find they're able to get some value out of, right? So things that they had assumed that be in the garbage pile, but they actually are very saleable. I know we talked 80s vintage clothing a little bit. What what sort of things that are you kind of in well, today's world that you're seeing just kind of like, wow, the, like people are, are really not anticipating that they would get money out of? Well, I'm 63. <laughs> Throw that out there. Okay. okay. Right? So mm-hmm. it'll be like Burger King glasses, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'd say a lot of the collectible stuff that was yeah. free – you know the, um, uh, the McDonald's, yeah. A lot of the a lot of the collectible stuff, and that just fly flies out the door. It's affordable, and it's got Chewbacca on it, and it's yeah. 1988 or you know whatever. I get it. So that always, I, I guess, I find that kind of kind of amusing. Once um, uh, pot was uh, legalized here, I don't know what's mm-hmm. going on in your state. Yeah, um, it is. Yeah. So yeah. So and then suddenly it's like. You can't keep a, a, a lighter in the, in the shop <laughs> and ashtrays. People asking for ashtrays all the time. I need an ashtray. I need a Las Vegas ashtray. Suddenly it's, you know, and I'm always like, you should get one from a hotel that doesn't exist anymore. You know, that's to me, that's cool. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, I want one that my parents stayed at or whatever. So, you know, I, and, and, and a lot of this tends to, to be kind of kitschy, let's just say collectible, you yeah. know, trash with a small T. So, because it would be things that you would, you would throw out, you know, um, generally, um, even down to like, oh my gosh, packaging, just packaging, early pack, even not all that early packaging, but hmm. so from, you know, food containers, especially when you had all the sports figures yeah. on there and yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, like all Jordans not, and stuff. Yeah. Not, not the same thing, but I, 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 we were selling, um, when Pee Wee was hot, mm. hot, um, <laughs> Uh, and we had this show and things would sell for insane money and just, just insane money. And then of course it all collapsed, yeah. you know, like, like overnight. And I remember hearing, I had one of my dealers, <laughs> this is great. This is how smart people can be. She sees this happen. She tracked down like all the, back then there were Toys R Us stores, Toys yeah. R Us stores, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. she tracked down all the Toys R Us stores and she would wait for them to throw out their garbage because they just cleared out the shelves. Mm. They just dumped it all, dumped it all. Okay. And I remember her coming in with a van full. How could you have possibly, what? So she gets it for free. Yeah. 
It was brilliant. Yeah. She made thousands and thousands of dollars. We sold every darn, you know, wow. cherry and you, you, you name it. Cause then it was over. Then it was mm-hmm. really over, you know, and, and now I, there's a, there's a little more, there's, there's someone interested in PV online, but again, something happens right in yeah. the, in the ether yeah. <laughs> of, uh, of collectability. Um, so that one kind of surprised me because it, it had an arc. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that, yeah, yeah, no, that's, yeah, that, no, that's, that's, that's awesome. Examples. <laughs> yeah. So, so Dwayne, we've kind of reached the uh, concluding question of our show here, and it's not uh, directly related to the topic. Uh, I'm guessing it will be in maybe in your answer. But so obviously, we're here on the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. So one question I love to ask all of our guests is how will you define your own retirement success when you get there? Chaos. <laughs> Okay. I like that. That's like the best answer I've I heard. I don't know awesome. that we've ever had that, and I like that. I, I got to hear. I got to hear the follow up of what chaos really <laughs> means in retirement success. <laughs> because you know, it still comes back to I. You know, I, I'm coining uh, high end hoarder because I'm a high end hoarder, and mm-hmm. and many 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 dealers are. It's the. It's very hard to retire from the antique business. Um, I know a lot of retired antique dealers that are still selling. <laughs> <laughs> online or have a booth in an antique mall and go, well, how are you retired? How did you really? Very few people can draw that line. And uh, my partner and I have been talking about it. You know, do we downsize the retail end of it? Do we kind of just take a break from it? Do we? But the thing is, you know, the calls keep coming. The emails keep coming. I'm doing a wonderful show like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and people reach out. Um, that was another reason that I did the book. I thought, it kind of it shows the backstory sure. of of this business and and I thought that, uh, when I first looked into this I could only find a book that was written in the seventies by some English guy about what it was like to be an antique dealer um, and I was like really because dealers have all these stories everybody's got some yeah. great stories yeah, yeah. yeah. and um, I've been you know uh, so I thought well I can you know uh, relate them here and you know and into a and oh my gosh into a second book because the first book hit uh, but. Uh, yeah, I'm still going to say chaos because there's just so much to do. I yeah. think this is going to be, and I'll do this here where I'll be, I'm looking around at some of my art here. I think art will probably go to auctions, some of the better, you know, ephemera auctions for the books and things like that when I, yeah. I downsize these things. I think a lot of stuff will probably go to, to auctions and then a lot of just lesser stuff. You know, I, I have my own McDonald's glasses that I drink, that I drink have coffee from every morning. So <laughs> going like, Hey, that's still worth $10. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, I'm hoping that I won't be as, as married to it as I have been. That yeah. will be time for it to go on. And this is what I like about the business. I, I get emails and, and, or I see. Uh, Facebook posts and people say, look at this, all this stuff came from your shop mm-hmm. and they're so happy with it. And I, it's touching people's lives in a very direct way. And I never thought I would have that, that opportunity. So I think my things can go on and, and uh, make somebody happy. I love that. Well, Dwayne, that, that, that's a, that's a fantastic answer. And I, I really can't thank you enough for coming on our show because it, there's just, there's just so much in terms of the fascinating stories of, from your, your book. And I know you got a book coming out of uh, vintage confidential retro rattled tales tattled uh, as well as coming out here next week, as you said, 
there's so much here, I think, from our client stories and having these challenges that they're facing and you being able to kind of give some tips and hacks and uh, tricks to how to get all this stuff done. This is going to be really helpful for years to come for all of our clients and, and listeners to our show. So we really appreciate that. And maybe maybe at some point we can have you come back on because I, I think um, there's probably going to be another echo of things that might happen from the <laughs> pandemic. So I think that, that might be another fascinating follow-up. So yeah. love to have True. you back on at some point, but I really yeah. can't thank you enough. This, is, this has been fun. It's been great. Thanks, right. guys. Thank Take you. care. So really fun episode uh, here today, having Dwayne Scott Cerny on. Uh, what, a, what a character. It uh, yeah. has, I'll say, uh, a lot of stories, a lot of adventures there with antiques. A lot and of stuff. Stuff. <laughs> selling stuff. Yeah. Again, his book is uh, Selling Dead People's Things. If you if you come up with that title, I think you got a sense of humor. That's right. And his, his next book is uh, Vintage Confidential, Retro Rattle, uh, Retro Rattled, Tales Tattled. And that's coming out, I think, probably by the time we're published, it should yeah, be out. So I believe check, so, yeah. So check that out on Amazon as well. But um, yeah, as you know, we always try to uh, wrap up our show and do a little bit of things that we, we took away personally from it. Um, so Curtis, what was something that you took away from today's episode? Yeah, so I'm going to uh, be lazy here a little bit. And I'm going to use Dwayne's uh, takeaway. So early early in the conversation, he uh, he referenced that he had one key point that he wanted our listeners to take away. So I'll reemphasize that. And kind of the punchline is the the person dealing with the estate or the uh, the leftover items. We are the salesperson. So you know, I think it's important that he pointed that out because it's something that maybe we don't do every day. You know, he talked about how you have to kind of look yourself in the mirror and say, "Is that something you're good at? Is that something you think you can do?" Because there's people like Dwayne or people in the industry that can help you. That you know, if you need to seek help. To, to really accomplish your goals of selling or, or just getting rid of um, kind of whatever's left in these estate type situations. So I just wanted to echo that um, from Dwayne and just, you know, if you're a salesman, go for it. But, you know, I know mm -hmm. I myself probably wouldn't do well, certain, even if you are a salesman, probably not in that field. So, you know, I think mm -hmm. it's important to kind of assess yourself there and, and seek the resources that Dwayne highlighted. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good one. And uh, I know just kind of, from my personal experience uh, working with this and then also, uh, you know, professionally as our clients have, have been working through, uh, you know, relatives and folks that have passed away and having to deal with it, mm. it, it you know, it comes down to really kind of three things. One is um, speed, right? Is, yeah. you know, you're going through a grieving process anyway, and then sure. you're left with these things. And the more you look at the things, I think, and the more it's reminding you of the grieving process you're going through. Mm -hmm. So I think speed tends to be something that we, I think the more speed we approach with it because we're dealing with our emotions about the person that we lost yeah. might be a little bit more inverse to the value that we get, right? Sure. Which I think he was making the point of getting appraisals and, yeah. and finding the right buyers out there yeah. versus let's just throw this stuff on the lawn and on a Saturday, we got to get rid of everything. That's right. You're probably not going to get the value. So I think kind of how do I get the most out of it? Speed. Mm -hmm. I was like, um, time was a big one he talked about. I know when I asked him yeah. for kind of the secret sauce, he said, you know, just give yourself time. And, and like you said, Ben, it's natural to want to probably get through it as fast as you can. But if exactly. again, if that goal is value, then that may 
right. not help. So, so those are like the, the competing forces, right? It, yeah. it feels like is, hey, I, I'm trying to get through it as quick as I can, but also I want to make sure I get the most value out of it. So I think from an episode today, I think Dwayne did a really great job of walking through the intricacies of those two things, right? As yeah. He said like, hey, one person could take care of everything and maybe do it, but are they like a car like dealer? Exactly. Do they really know how to handle a car sale? Exactly. Is that the best person to probably do? So people that are going to have their 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 niche out there and what they work with and what they deal with on a daily basis it's just important to assess that and and see how how quickly they can get it done but also how much value they can provide so i thought that was a really kind of a good good kind of back and forth in terms of debate to kind of think through for today's episode. So of course we will have some more resources, including uh, how to check out Dwayne's books in kind of some more about today's show. You can go to blog.guidancepointllc.com backslash six, six, because we're episode 66 and you can see more about our show there. Again, we always appreciate you tuning in. You know, we're, we're 66 in now. We've been getting better every time. I I think our guests continue to provide a lot of value about things that we work through in retirement. We really appreciate you tuning into our show and can't wait to catch you next time. Take care. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just listened to an information filled episode of the retirement success in Maine podcast. While this show is about finding more ways to improve your retirement happiness, Guidance Point Advisors' mission is to help our clients create a fulfilling retirement. We do financial planning so that people can enjoy retirement and align their monetary resources to their goals. If you're wondering about your own personal success, we invite you to reach out to us to schedule a 45-minute listening session. Our advisors will have a conversation with you about your goals, your frustrations, and your problems. Make sure you check out Guidance Point Advisors on our blog, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And you can always check out more episodes of this podcast on iTunes and Spotify. And of course, keep on finding your retirement success.